0: This is a Suno India production and you're listening to Science & Us.
1: Hello, hello, I'm Menaka Rao. And I am Surya Tapa, and this is Science & Us. Menaka, what is the episode on? How talking in a sing-song manner is much better than speaking. What? Like, uh,
0: write your script. (laughs) That's just mean. No, seriously, that is what a scientist I spoke to found out. She works with autistic children and found out that speaking to them in a tune, what they call sung speech, is much better than just talking. I spoke to Dr. Nandini Chatterjee Singh, and she is a senior national program officer with UNESCO's Mahatma Gandhi Institute of Education for Peace and Sustainable Development, that works towards developing programs and products that promote social and emotional learning. I want to start from the beginning. Dr. Nandini is trained in physics and she has a PhD in physics. She broke away from pure physics when she was in the United States in a lab that tried to understand bird brains and she learned some methods of neuroscience there.
2: I was looking at birdsong learning and birds learn to sing very similar to the way how humans learn how to speak. So birdsong learning is a great model to understand human speech. And a lot of my work there had focused on trying to develop sophisticated methods to handle birdsong recordings. So vocalizations, that is speech, bird song, all of them, these are essentially um, time-frequency signals. Okay? And, um, but these are signals that are changing in time, so they are what we call non-stationary or dynamic signals. And one of the things that I was doing at, my, at the lab in Berkeley was, uh, there were people who were recording from neurons directly in birds when certain stimuli were played. How do neurons in the brain of the bird respond when you're listening to yourself versus other birds sing, versus any frequencies only? How does the structure of the sound begin to uh, influence neuronal activity? Hmm. That's what we were studying. And I was doing more of the analysis in terms of trying to understand what structures of the sound. So we would call it temporal features of the sound. Okay.
1: What is spectrotemporal features of sound?
2: So something where the frequency content keeps changing as a function of time. So when I speak, I'm speaking different frequencies. At one millisecond, it's a set of frequencies. At two milliseconds, it's a set of frequencies. Those frequencies keep changing. So, mathematically, to analyze them is quite challenging. And in order to understand how neurons process this information, you need to f- develop some kind of a mathematical model. So you say, the bird is hearing this and the neuron is responding in this way. How do I make sense out of what's happening in this black box which is the brain? Like right now when I'm speaking to you, I am saying some words. You are, your brain is doing some stuff because of which you are able to understand. Not only that, you are able to even respond back to me. Pretty marvellous what's going on. So if you want to try and understand what the brain is doing, you have to start breaking these down into smaller blocks or steps. So that's what I was doing.
1: Is this how we can study how humans speak?
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. She told me that the bird song learning is a great model to understand human speech. And when she came to India, she decided to work with human speech. She joined the National Brain Research Centre in Manesar. Haryana, not too far from Delhi, it is dedicated to doing interdisciplinary research on neuroscience and is funded by the government of
2: India. So when I came back to India and I began to study this in humans and primarily children. So the reason I began to study that in children, it was a very simple experimental paradigm. So I would get children to speak into a microphone, pretty much the way I am speaking to. Then I would take these recordings and open them up as signals on my computer. And then I was used with methods of math and computing. To decode these, to try and understand what was happening. Mm. And uh, I started seeing some interesting patterns depending on what age children were at. So when a child who's four years old versus seven years old versus nine years old says the same phrase, you see they say it differently. Okay? And you begin to realize that what's really changing is their speech motor skills. So the ability with which they can manipulate different sounds begins to change. Mm. Okay? Now, does this happen because of hearing? Does it beca- happen because there's motor development? Does it happen because they are attending differently? Multiple factors again coming into play. So, these are the sort of questions I started to ask. Again.
0: The mandate of this lab is to also help people, right? So, Dr. Nandini decided to try to understand autistic children and their speech.
2: And so, I started to look at children who might have speech issues. And that's mm-hmm. when I encountered... Uh, uh, Somebody talking about children with autism. And so I was very curious and I realized it's primarily a communication disorder. And, and this is, remember, early 20, 2000, 2002, thousand mm. two three or so, mm. when there was not so much awareness about autism. I was very fortunate that there were one or two psychiatrists who were willing to let me into their, uh, reco- into their chambers to say, come and talk to people. And one of the most interesting findings I had was then. They said, children with autism will be running all over the place. I don't know how you'll get these recordings. Okay, because you can't running after them So I said, you know, I'll open up... My, I, 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 of course, went with a very idealistic idea that I'll open up this computer. It's linked to the computer and I'll put a microphone on. So everybody laughed at me. But no way. And here is what was shocking. The moment the kid with autism saw the computer, and they saw things happening on the computer. They were happy to sit down. So something about machines Walk attracted them. And I, in a matter of couple of weeks, I managed to record from so many kids. And doctors were amazed. They said, we have never managed to get this kid to sit here. Mm-hmm. But the moment you put in this computer, the kid comes to sits there, sit there. Normally, we say, the child doesn't want to make eye contact. The computer is not asked is not a social stimulus no but a human being is a social stimulus so the child five con- computer stays same it just doesn't keep changing and that's when I began to realize that kids with autism get anxious because of social stimuli okay? because
0: it's unpredictable
2: and, and they keep changing so much because they're dynamic okay they like something which is predictable. And when I analysed those recordings, I found that there were 7-year-old kids, 10-year-old kids, who were still talking in a sing-song-like manner.
1: Mm.
2: As a cup, cut the cake. Normally, a 7-year-old child or a 9-year-old child would not speak like that. Mm. And so I was very curious as to why they were speaking like that. Mm. And then I found this pattern in a couple of kids. And one of the things you notice when you do this... Uh, acoustic analysis of these is that these signals have a varying uh, you know the frequency or the pitch goes from high to low. It's a lot like what you see in music. Okay, It, it sort of begins, begins to follow the structure of maybe a melody Okay, and they seem to respond to that. Something about that they liked. Okay?
1: So that's not how you and I are talking right?
0: No, that, but that's the way we talk to small babies.
2: But, if you also pause and think, when you talk to very young babies, who are not yet developed language, hmm. you tend to say, Aap kaise ho? Hmm. Aap khana hmm. You know, we slow down. So, these are what we call speech registers. And it's as if we know with whom, how to modulate our speech. Hmm. Okay. So, you meet somebody new who is from a different country, you will slow down. When mm. you speak to a young child, you somehow know that this child might not understand at this rate at which I speak, so let me slow it down. Mm. And then you do that with the baby. Okay. So, kids with autism seem to have caught up, caught some of those features, some of those contours. Mm. And so, one hypothesis that began to emerge was that regular speech or normal speech, probably the... Content, frequency content is changing too rapidly mm. for them to be able to attend mm. to or grasp. And so they are probably still stuck at those contours that they were able to pick up at a younger age, one. Or maybe children with autism, because we were still understanding their uh, development, mm. is offer periods of op- opportunity to learn language at different times. So to elaborate, um, a so-called neurotypical child will respond to this at age, you know, two, one and a half, between one and a half to three. But a child with autism might do that at age six or seven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But those earlier years, that child has been largely quiet. But nevertheless, even whilst we try to understand this, It gave us one clue that this seems to be something the kid is attracted towards.
0: Dr. Nandini said that most of these children's parents told them that they absolutely loved some piece of music.
2: It could be a jingle or a rhyme. Lots of parents would say... You know, my kid loves Radio Mirchi. My kid loves this ad or whatever. Everybody, almost every child that came had some musical piece that he liked. Correct. Okay. He or she liked. I spoke to Meera Balachandra,
0: a parent of an autistic man, Krishna Kumar. Meera auntie is my closest friend Vidya's mother. Kumar is verbal and can express himself. But Meera auntie said that she realized music helps him calm down since he was a baby.
3: The uh, first incident was when he was hardly a month old. he was crying very you know he was in distress and right. I, I didn't know what to do and uh, my aunt uh, just uh, took him and she put him on her lap, and she sang a bhajan and he just instantly he stopped crying. That was the very first uh, instance of my knowing that uh, music could do something to him. It's not simply that music does something to them. It's also how it is presented by whom, in what mood. It depends on the child's mood also and also on how the person giving the music uh, does it. There are so many things around it Basically, it is uh, very much his, as uh, Nandini said, it is his, in his DNA and uh, the also has been his, therapy has been with friends and when he broke down he went through psychosis and depression Uh, music uh, stayed with him he still learned he could learn at that time and could remember he could enjoy music even when uh, mentally he was all broken Uh, that has been the power of music uh, for kumar our case is very unique because uh, it has worked for both of us.
0: Miranti said that Kumar does not have any specific preference of music, and he likes all kinds of music, whether it's a children's jingle or Bhimsen Yoshi.
3: In the height of his psychosis, uh, he had a two-in-one at that time. One day he just he put classical, in the cassette. That time he was just what well of Fifteen. So he put uh, Bhimsen Yoshi cassette in on one side and a western music uh, cassette in the other side and he played this for some time and then he stopped this then he played that for some time just on his own mm. so uh, although i can still remember the scene but uh, he didn't say anything about it but he just took took this in and took that also so for him Uh, Whether it is jingles, or whether it is uh, uh, cinema music, Tamil music, he cannot pronounce many words, he doesn't understand uh, many words, but uh, whatever he can, he, he just thinks.
0: Repetition in music does not bore him, so the affinity to music is quite special.
1: We say that autistic children are wired differently than neurotypical ones, but what does that mean? What do we know about the development of brains among autistic children so far? Dr. Nandini
0: explained that the different cortices of the brain develop among people at different points of time.
2: The frontal, the temporal and the motor cortices are all important for speech production and speech perception. The frontal cortex is the region, is the part of your brain, which is just above your forehead, right on top of the head. The temporal cortex is right above the ears. Now, what we certainly do know in the context of autism is that these regions structurally, what by that I mean, the way they develop, and the connections between these regions are different, atypical as we call it in uh, scientific language, in individuals with autism. Sometimes there might be over-connectivity, sometimes there might be under-connectivity. Both kinds of patterns have been seen. And therefore, because of these differences in the connectivity, the processing of the speech stimulus happens differently in individuals with autism. That's something that has been shown and seen in our work and the work of numerous other uh, laboratories in the world that work on autism. So we see differences in structure and we see differences in function. Okay, So by function we mean is the regions of the brain that are participating or that get activated when a particular process happens. So in this case, we're talking about speech production or in the experiment that we conducted, speech perception. So even when they're listening to speech, how much of the temporal, frontal, and motor cortices are activated is different in autism. And so it's the extent, that is how much of it, and the level of activity, both are seen to be different.
0: What parents want is to just be able to communicate with their children and to be able
2: to do simple things like feed them. You do want to find ways whereby you can begin to connect with the child simply so that you can respond to the needs of the child. When are you hungry? When do you want to go to the toilet? When do you want to talk? When do you want to sleep? But if the child doesn't even respond to what you are saying, mm. it can be very frustrating for the parent and the child. Mm. And the child will get angry, like you were saying earlier, because you you can't understand my communication.
1: Sounds difficult.
0: Yes, Dr. Nandini told these parents to just try what is called song speech.
2: How about you start singing to children and say mm. instead of saying "Chalo, khana khane batte yeah, pani say "Khana khane aon. Mm. So the child who might be playing on the floor, will say, oh, she's saying something to me. First is just realizing that you are atten- saying this to me. That's the first connection you want. Then you want to say, what are you saying to me? And mm. then thirdly, am I supposed to respond to this? Mm. So at least the you are able to get the attention of the child. Mm. So be, this is just the first message we sent out to the parents who had worked with us. That try this with children. Mm. Okay. And many of them started reporting that. This was all done very anecdotally. So we had not done it so systematically. Correct. But we found many of them came back saying, it's helping us connect with our children. Mm. They are responding. So we knew there was some step in the forward direction.
1: She's saying so far the evidence is anecdotal, right? What do we know about how brains work when it comes to sung speech.
0: Fortunately, around the same time, the National Brain Research Centre got an MRI scanner. Dr. Nandini decided to understand cognition more using the functional MRI scanner or fMRI.
2: I began to design initial experiments in, um, which would use uh, the scanner and I prim- started out with functional imaging. Once we got a handle on using functional imaging, I, around the same time, I had a student join me who had a cousin with autism. Mm. And she came with a passion to study autism. She mm. said, I am determined to try and understand what's different with my cousin brother. Okay, and, uh, and he was a child with Asperger's. Dr.
0: Nandini's team designed a simple experiment where they just measured brain activity when children heard spoken speech and sung speech. No task was involved in this.
1: My God, how did they manage to do MRI with kids? It's so scary.
0: Yeah, she, she mentions that it required a lot of patience.
2: When I think about this now, it was quite remarkable what all we managed to do. You know? We didn't sedate the children. Mm. We would bring them in and get them familiarized with the scanner. We, and for each child, I think we must have done three and four trials to be able to record what was happening in their brain. You just have to be patient. You, sh- you can let them take, they can take their favorite toy uh, to make them feel comfortable. You go once, twice. Um, there's a little bit of reward that you associate that, you know, once you go in and come out, you might get your favorite food to mm. eat or something. So we had kids with autism, diagnosed with autism do this. And we had neuro- neurotypical kids of the same age group do this from about 5 to 16 years of age. The experiment we ran was very simple. It was that um, when the child is lying in the scanner, you'll say, cartoon, mm. and the brain activity is recorded. Then you say, cartoon. Mm. Okay? And then you say, tan, tan, mm. the two frequencies that were used. Okay? And we, uh, and this is where we went back and looked at research and saw that, which said that major notes are associated with positive emotions. This was a finding that was there in the literature.
1: This is so cool. What did they find?
2: We found a couple of interesting things. One, when speech was spoken, the kids with autism showed very little activity. Hmm. But when it was sung, there was much higher activity in the brain. So clear difference in engagement when musically presented. So we called it sung speech. Okay. Not only that, with some advanced analysis, we were able to see that there is a network that is involved in processing this, okay. a network in the brain. Mm. Okay. That network works differently in music versus speech. Mm. In kids with autism, when music is happening, it works very similar to the way it's happening in typical kids. Mm. But in the case of speech, it's quite different. Hmm. So, we knew that music plays some important role with kids with autism. Dr. Nandini's team
0: used these results and continued to work with children to help them communicate better.
2: And then we went on to do uh, additional separate work, which was with a, another clinic, where we provided this input back to counselors,
3: hmm. who then
2: began to develop interventions where they used more. Comfort, the squares in mm. not only that over a period of time we were able to track that their language expression skills also began to improve mm. because they were connecting social. So this also reconfirmed uh, and another idea which has emerged in language development is that social communication or social contact or social context is critical for good language development. Hmm. If you are not interacting socially, Hmm. then you might not develop enough language in the early years.
1: Why is it that autistic children are able to receive sung speech better?
0: There could be several reasons. One is the fact that the speech slows down when it's sung. Let's hear Dr. Nandini on this.
2: Now, there are multiple features of the sung stimulus which are important here. You know, it's slower. Um, There is the rate of processing as a consequence. The rate of change of temporal information that comes about is different when you're singing versus the way you're speaking. And the way the pitch contours change are different in sung versus speech. We feel all of these are different and structurally and functionally in children with autism. And therefore, we find that uh, sung speech is processed more efficiently in kids with autism. And this is across the board as compared to spoken speech. Dr. Nandini
0: also explained the mechanism of brain when sung speech is processed
2: but what is interesting is when you use sung speech okay so the kind that i had talked about earlier where you say khana khane versus khana khane aon. now in the sung speech aspect of it we see that there seems to be a additional or a different mechanism at work in children with autism so there's another region of the brain called the cerebellum okay uh, which is Right below at the below your neck at the back of it. And there um, in the cerebellum, we know that fine motor control is processed. Also important in uh, speech perception and speech production. So, what some of our research found was that there was a connectivity that was seen between the cerebellum and the frontal cortex in individuals with autism, during sung speech. And we think that might be a compensatory mechanism that is at play during sung speech, but not during spoken speech. What's additionally interesting is, the right hemisphere plays an important role in music. The left hemisphere plays an important role in language. And here I want to emphasize Both hemispheres are important for both speech and language. But we do know that they share some common networks and the fact that the right plays a more dominant role in music and the left plays a more dominant role in speech. And one of the hypotheses that is often talked about is is that the right hemisphere has also the ability to provide compensation. The right hemisphere often comes to the rescue of processes which might not be processed uh, correctly or in typical ways by the left hemisphere. Okay? It provides that support, the right hemisphere. And we think in this case too, the right hemisphere provides uh, mechanisms that can be used in individuals with autism to be able to process sung speech better than spoken speech.
1: Surya, you want to read from the study? Yes. Our findings of increased left frontal, left cerebellar connectivity during sung word perception in autism spectrum disorders may also suggest a possible rewiring at the level of the cortex where left hemisphere language regions might still be able to perform song processing functions compensating for speech and may be reflected in the left lateralization of cerebellar cortical connectivity. They further say the potential of using sung speech can be used not just for autism spectrum disorders but also with other impairments related to frontotemporal connectivity. I like that this is teaching neurotypical people how to modify their communication for autistic people instead of the other way around, which is what usually happens. And who doesn't like a bit of music? Yes,
0: Dr. Nandini explained that music is now the new frontier of understanding the brain. I want to end this episode with a fresh composition by Kumar and Mirandi. And this was for Mother's Day and it's a Sanskrit poem. Sarva
3: Jagat mm-hmm. Janani Jagat Janani Sarva Jagat Janani Takita Deem taki
0: Please rate our podcast and leave a comment if you like it. Underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people. So please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram.